Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, adulting well listeners. This is Pepper, a.k.a. Joshua, a.k.a. Pepper, here to tell you about Anchor. So we used to host our podcast on another service, and we had this show for maybe three or four years at this point. And we got some metrics and things, but we didn't have a lot to do with them. And we recently switched over to Anchor. And what's amazing about it is it has all the metrics for the show. So you can see, you know, how many downloads you get and things like that. But it it also lets you engage with the audience uh, in ways that our old service couldn't. So, for instance, we can have polls. We can ask listeners to uh, leave us messages and questions and things like that. And we can uh, put them on the air super easily and answer those questions. Just uh, That's just one example, but there are just a lot of different ways that we can um, engage with you now that we're using Anchor. So uh, this is our first ad, and it's for this service that we're using to provide this podcast to you. And I think it's uh, actually a really, really good service. Um, and if you have a podcast, I recommend it. You can download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to get started. Uh, thanks for, uh, pausing with me for a second. Now back to the episode. Hello and welcome to the Adulting Well podcast. I am your co-host Joshua and I am joined as always by the amazing Kevin. Kevin, how are you? I'm doing well, Joshua. Thanks for asking. So, uh, our guest tonight is Amy Miller. Um, she was one of Comedy Central's Up Next Comics for 2018 and was a breakout favorite in season nine of The Last Comic Standing, which is a fantastic show. Her Comedy Central Presents has, um, set has had, has had over 3 million views, um, on YouTube. Dang. Yeah, I know. That's, that's fucking awesome. Um, she was also featured, uh, featured comic on Viceland's Flophouse. Uh, on last comic standing, Keenan Ivory Wayne said that she had one of the fiercest jokes he'd ever heard, which I actually agree with. You have some fierce jokes. Originally from the East Bay, Amy found her comedy chops in Oakland and is still a regular SF Punchline and Cobb's Comedy Club, two of our local faves. Uh, her material is personal, political, and 100% authentic. The laugh button says she found widely creative way to find empowerment while simultaneously sparking laughter. And quoting comedy says... Miller juxtaposes an unassuming demeanor with unflinching assurance. After I moved to Portland in 2012, Amy quickly rose to the top of the Pacific Northwest comedy scene, winning Portland's funniest in Helium's 2015 contest, as well as being voted Portland's funniest comedian for 2013 and 2015 in the Willamette Week, a rag that I love. Um, She was the first woman to win each position and the only one to win all three. Amy's debut Album Solid Gold is available on Kill Rock Stars, which we love as well, and was named one of the top 10 comedy albums of 2016 by um, Intrabang. She, you may have seen her on Viceland. Um, you're also, you've been on Sirius XM, NPR, Doug Loves Movies, The Adam Carolla Show, all the good stuff. Bennington Show, Put Your Hands Together, all 
Fantasy Everything, Keith and the Girl, your own podcast, Who Is Your God? Amy's nationally touring festival and comedy club headliner. She has also performed in the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, South by Southwest, which I go to every year. And I think I saw you actually one year. The High Plains Comedy Fest, Laughing, Laughing Skull, Big Sky, San Francisco Sketch Fest, and the Bumbershoot Festival, among many others. So I know that, uh, well, I have watched many of your sets, both on YouTube and I've, se- and I do believe I've seen you. Wait, um, should I talk? And I can now? agree with all the. <laughs> Yes. Welcome. No, no, no. no, no, no. Guests, guests don't talk on this show. Just I just realized I hadn't long. said anything yeah. yet, and I feel like a real asshole sending you that long bio. <laughs> but then also, it's nice you know, to it help set it up, though. It's nice to revisit uh, when I was allowed to do comedy and remember that I have done it before and <laughs> that life used to be different. So I kind of like hearing all of it, but I also now know it's way too long. <laughs> I'll pare it down a little bit next time. <laughs> well, I I, uh, I enjoyed reading it because it actually when when Julie first sent it to me, Julie is our amazing marketing director. I was like, oh, I've seen her. I've seen her at South by Southwest because I when I watched the videos, I was like, she seems so familiar. And then I kind of like put it together. So, welcome to the show. Thank you. We were talking about long podcasts before. <laughs> This and it, it it had me think yeah it had me think <laughs> had me thinking about some of the podcasts I've been listening to lately that are clip, like coming in at like two hours and I make it through about fifteen minutes and fall asleep. Oh really? I like long. I like when mine are long. I just don't like doing long podcasts. <laughs> right. I like listening to part, long podcasts. Well, it's hard if you know so, if you know what you're going into. You know it's going to be two hours. Then it's yeah. like I don't know. Is this worth it? You know. Sure. But sometimes it just goes that way. I think like anything, like 45 minutes is the longest anything should be. Yeah, I mean, my podcast is about religion. So it does go long sometimes because people have a lot of feelings about that. Mm. (laughs) I'm sure you guys are aware. Uh, But we try to keep it. I've I've seen a few on the social medias. Um, so tell us, we, you know, most of the people we interview and, you know, you've got, you've got a, a, a live record or a record out on Kill Rock Star. So I would assume that there's some, some punk rock background here. Um, most people we talk to have been involved in the punk scene or have done things that are incredibly independent. And I think that intersects well with the comedy world. So maybe just talk a little bit about like your early life and how you kind of came to do comedy and like what that, sort of was like for you. And I know that's a long, probably a long story, but you know, just whatever you feel like sort of filling in for us. Cause I'd sure. love to hear about your, your early life. Yeah. So just starting with the kill rock stars thing, that was really cool. They have a small, but excellent uh, stable of comedians. And I know even now that they um, like Portia left and slim took the label back over that they're trying to expand that even further. Um, and that was very cool. It was a very good kind of a exclamation point on my on the end of my three years in Portland. I lived there for three years, really moved there for comedy. Um, but I worked in in music, um, which is funny enough. Uh, and yeah, so getting that, I think it was after my going away show that um, Portia, who was running Kill Rockstars, came up to me after and said, like, want to do a deal? And I'm like, yes. You know, it's like it was so exciting. Um, So I've lived a lot in the music 
world. And as far as like my punk background, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because I have a religion podcast because I grew up, I raised myself in the Baptist church, (laughs) uh, Mm -hmm. which you can hear all about if you go to Who's Your God. Um, And, but at the time, you know, I was living in the East Bay. My parents were not religious and my brother was, you know, a huge part of uh, the founding of Gilman Street. And he's a, He's the lead singer in a band called Sam I Am, which I'm sure you're familiar familiar with. And uh, so it was funny. It was like at this time I was like, you know, it's the mid '80s to late '80s, and I'm a super Christian child. And then my brother's doing basically what my pastors are telling me is the devil's music. <laughs> um, Can and we just going- pause there for a second? How did that? Are you saying your parents were not religious? They were not religious. Yeah, I mean, we were just like sort of white trash, chaotic household. My parents were drunks and like they were. You just decided to be a Christian? Yeah. um, Yeah, kind of. My sister and I. What? And again, like I've talked about this so many times on the pod, um, but uh, the abbreviated version is we lived a block away from a very fundamentalist Baptist church. And we did not have really much parenting. Uh, and they brought this van around that said, you know, I'll take your kids to church on Sunday. And my dad was like, that's perfect. Cause that's when football is on. So strange man in a van, please take my daughters. Uh, so me, two sisters and I started going to church, but then our oldest sister immediately was like, fuck this. Cause she was cool. Like my brother. Uh, and, she got out, but we stuck with it, uh, and we just went on our own. We would walk there or have the van pick us up, and then, it, you know, it really spiraled because then I was Christian for, like, 25 years and my sister a little bit longer. But, yeah, at that time, you know, when I was uh, very little, I had this idea of, like, whatever my brother is doing every night, which is riding his bike to Gilman uh, an incredibly long way, by the way, because we lived in El Sobrani, so he's, like, riding his bike past like the San Pablo reservoir through the hills, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of drugs involved and that's fine. Um, uh, but to go to Berkeley and then, you know, then, then slowly became this sort of thing that was like a pretty well-known band. And, you know, I mean, I, I would go on to not, I didn't start doing comedy until I was 30. So it would be so many years before I started performing. And now it's really funny because we're like, (laughs) should we just, if life goes back to normal, do we need like an Amy Miller and Sam I am tour? Because I feel like people would love that. <laughs> and, and looking back that my favorite part of it is that, you know, Sam I am songs are often about our family uh, and the darkest parts yeah. of our family history. And I remember as a teenager being like, so embarrassed. Like I can't believe you're airing all this dirty laundry and like everybody knows our business. And now I'm just like, on national television talking shit about, you know, my dead father or whatever. So, <laughs> so it runs in the family and our, and our two sisters are normal, nice people. You know, they're like a teacher and a nonprofit worker. Like they, they don't perform, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty funny that like just how much I hated it, that he was, you know, telling our secrets mm-hmm. and yeah. now it's like, whatever. <laughs> I have no boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you know, Jason was on the show last a couple weeks ago, right? 
No, I didn't. That's so funny. I had no idea. Yeah. Julie didn't tell me that. Oh, by the so way, I'm, I'm, I'm good old friends yeah. with Julie Shushard, your your marketing director, and she's so lovely. Yeah. She's amazing. She's amazing. So we interviewed um Bill and him and Mark about the Golden Bowl. Oh, um, nice. And just surviving surviving COVID, you know. So yeah. Um, and one of my first shows when I was a kid was Isocracy at the uh, Odd Fellows Temple in Santa Rosa, and that's like, amazing. Who knows when? Whenever they were a band, but they threw trash all over. We when we had put on the show, so we had to stay and pick up all their trash. So I got to, <laughs> I got to, I got to remind him of that in the uh, podcast a couple weeks. That's ago. so great. So, yeah, there's so a very. Our, Oh, sorry. I think we have a little bit of a delay. I'm I'm not blatantly interrupting you. Um, there's Keep a very <laughs> it's a very funny uh, picture of me on the first day of school, and I want to say like 1985, where I'm wearing like like I look for sure neglected, like my hair is dirty, um, and <laughs> and I'm wearing like an acid wash jean skirt. But then I have an isocracy t-shirt and uh, I went to Christian school. I went to school at the church where mm. I started going to church <laughs> and uh, they did not take kindly to me wearing that. And I just thought I was like, it's the first day of school. You want to wear your most special outfit. Like my brother has a band. It was a very innocent shirt at that time. Their graphics were all like little woodland creatures. You know, it was like, just little drawings of animals. Mm-hmm. It was very innocent. Uh, but they knew somehow like, oh, that's like a secular punk band. And and uh, they told me I could never wear it to school again. I had to go home and change. Oh, crazy. <laughs> I'd kill for that shirt now, though. That like, so cool. But it, it does sound like it does sound like it was a good thing in your life that they were there at that moment. Yeah, yes and no. Um, I've only come to that uh, realization more recently in my life because I think, I mean, my sister and I really clung to it because there were adults there that took an interest in us. And, you know, my brother really was responsible for raising me most of the time. And as you've heard, you know, maybe, maybe he wasn't the best person for that job either. But he was a fucking kid and he was in a band. And so it's like he did... So much, you know, he's more my father than my father ever was, Um, uh, which is really weird now because we're like peers and friends and it's, you know, it's an interesting change in the dynamic. But but yes, I think that we had kind of these adults that looked out for us uh, and made sure we kind of had what we needed and we had activities and like friends like went to summer camp, you know, we went to Wednesday night Bible study like that was all huge uh do i wish that i had had a situation as a kid where i had actual activities you know what i mean like my parents would sign me up for soccer or whatever yeah of course um but that's just not those aren't the cards i was dealt so if church is what i got then you know it's what i got i think ultimately it it resulted in a lot of good could have been a biker gang yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, it could have been just what my brother and sister did, which was like, just do drugs and drop out of high school, you know, which is also fine. Uh, kids for the kids listening. Um, school is a scam. No. Um, yeah. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm like grateful for it, but I also 
of course, am very scarred from it and still working that out. And that's why I have 170 episodes of a podcast about religion. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's interesting too. I'm, I'm utterly obsessed on cults and especially the, like the modern day, like social media transformation of people with QAnon and the other like extremely hard, like right fantasy land that's going on right now. And I, I, so I'm, I'm actually, I didn't even know about your podcast and I'm going to probably subscribe to it as soon as we're done because it's right in my wheelhouse. Like I just, and, and I find that material too, to be um, incredibly compelling for people that have sort of been able to get out and um, you know, use it as a, as, as a form of, of, of creating and, and artistry. And, you know, I, I'm sure, and I've watched a bunch of, because Julie wanted you to come on the show. And so I watched a bunch of your, the stuff that I could find on video. I mean, your, your, your comedy is biting and it's, but it's also really real. And those are the comedians that I like the most. And I try to get to at least one comedy show at South by Southwest when I'm there, I go to sketch fest at least to one every, you know, one, at least one event. Um, every year. And I absolutely love more than anything else mortified. I think it's fucking brilliant. Um, so, you know, when I was started watching and doing research on your comedy, I mean, I, like I said, I recognized you, but I also was like, this is the kind of stuff I really like. Cause it's honest. And you know, you, you burn some dude in Portland when you were doing, um, you were opening for somebody's, um, live live show that they were filming and some guy was trying to heckle you but then stopped and you said oh are you a white dude with a beard and i was like oh shit should i shave before the show (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah it's it's funny like i um i i don't i'm at this really weird point right now where like in in two weeks, I turn 40, which to me in normal life is a very normal and fine. And it's not, I'm not dead, uh, but in LA, <laughs> in the entertainment business, um, I've had, I've gotten advice from so many people that are saying like, don't say that out loud, just hide it, just hide it. Like you don't look your age. So just mm. lie. And I'm like, I like whatever happened during those formative years uh, you know, that I wasn't involved in the punk scene, but I absorbed a lot of that approach. And uh, a lot of that is is honesty, you know, so it feels weird, really weird to be in a job where I'm like, I will say anything about my life and my past. And it's all based, you know, it's all based in reality. Um, not that I don't write good jokes. I think I do. But I'm not like a one liner comic. Like it's mostly autobiographical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it feels weird all of a sudden to just have this big thing that I lie about to get jobs. And I think, um, you know, I think my brother had a huge influence on me, but I also think it's a lot of like, there's this thing that I don't always know how to talk about, but there's like white trash pride, (laughs) like not white pride. That's bad. Uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But white trash pride where, that that runs through my entire family uh that it's like you can't fucking tell us what to do uh and maybe we behave in a way that's detrimental to our bank account and future hireability but um but it's always something we can be proud of you know what i mean like uh i'm doing stuff that's real and honest and i got so much of that from my brother and like 
um, which I don't even know if I've ever told him or given him personally credit for this, but, but it really is my, my whole family. I mean, my sisters are normal people and they're the same way that it's just like, I'm going to, I'm going to behave in a way that's true to like my core values and who I am and be proud of where I came from. And like, so yeah, it's just, it feels so weird to be like, I'm 34. Like what, who fucking cares? You know? Um, and I, well, you can start, maybe start with this uh, episode if you listen to the podcast, but we had Bobcat on and we were talking a lot about this, like, what is that like poor people thing, you know, where when you get into entertainment or whatever, mm-hmm. you just don't take any shit from anybody. And, you know, Bobcat is such a great example because he's a genius. Like, he's truly a genius. He's an amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. director, comedian, everything. And he's lost so much work just from wanting to be authentic and standing up for what he believes and not Mm -hmm. wanting to work for assholes. And uh, so we talk a lot about that in his episode, just what is that thing? And I think it's all very punk mentality, you know, like I'll do it on my own. I don't need a gatekeeper to tell me that I'm good or that I'm doing it well. Um, And the compromise is you might, not end up rich, <laughs> but you can yeah. be proud of yourself at the end of the day. And uh, I mean, that's true for my brother and I both. And, and, you know, I mean, Bobcat's got plenty of money. He's doing fine, but he should be yeah, much sure. wealthier than he is. I agree with that. I, I, I saw him at a, at Sketchfest one year. Um, in fact, who's in that show? Uh, Mark Maron was actually on that show before he hit it big with his podcast. And um, Matt Nathanson actually played music and performed in that show. And it was Bobcat absolutely blew me away. I had not seen him perform live before. And so, yeah. So most of what I knew about him was from earlier days. Shakes the Clown is one of my all time favorite movies. Yeah. 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 And I've probably watched it a hundred times. We used to get high when I was younger and just watch it and laugh and laugh and just eat food. And I saw him a few years ago. It was great. He's Uh, fantastic. He is a genius. There was no one there. It sucked, but it was like, really? It was great. Yeah. It was a weird, it was a weird, like early Wednesday night thing that like, yeah. Free ticket thing. He was total genius. And, and I am going to start with that episode then because I, I adore him. I just think he's, he's another one that's truly authentic. And did you see his like twilight zone ish show that he made recently? Yeah. It's so good. The true TV show. Yeah. It's very weird. Very, I mean, that's an example of finally someone, you know, some network being like, make what you want to make, Bobcat. And unfortunately, it's on True TV. So, like, who even knows how we, w- I think that somebody just bought all their properties. Like, I think HBO Max might have gobbled them up. So, you can probably watch it there now. But, um, cool. But yeah, he's also been steeped in all this tragedy. You know, it's like every creative person he was close to died <laughs> younger than they should have. Uh, and he mm-hmm. just, he's just so good at doing things that he wants to do. Um, and not just always like taking that check. And I think, I mean, I haven't listened to my brother's episode of your podcast. I wish I had known, but, um, you know, the golden bull is a really funny thing because he's, he's wanted to, own a bar in the East Bay for so long. And and this is the kind of shit that happens that you finally get the thing you want. And then life has another, you know, and then there's a pandemic and you're like, 
great, all this thing. Right. And what I think we're always prepared for is disappointment and survival. And that's like, that's what you get from like a poor, chaotic childhood is that you're like, of course, this would fall sure. apart, you know, and then what's the next thing that yeah. I'm going to do? Um, and when you know that you're always making choices that are true to you and that you feel like are right, um, you know, then you're, you're always going to be, you're not going to be rich, but you're always going to be able to sleep at night knowing that you're like <laughs> making good choices. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's so fucked yeah. up that this happened to him, you know, I mean, he, well, whatever <laughs> he should have had his own bar decades ago, but, uh, <laughs> Um, that's also the business that we're both kind of in now where it's like, we're, we're always chasing this, you know, we want to perform and that's it. And, uh, and so it's, it's just been wild to have him be in a spot where now he's like dad full time. And that's what we're doing this year, you know, because the bar can't be open and you can't tour. And so, you know, we're all kind of reexamining, like, what is my identity? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's been wild. I miss him. I haven't seen him since March. So what if I just started weeping about my brother? <laughs> oh, that'd be great. I will use that for the promo I did, clip. I did last week. So don't, you know, <laughs> we're wide open to whatever. here. Kevin cries all the time on the show. I, yeah, I have, I, I I've that. had two cries in the last two shows. Oh, I love so I'm, it. I'm not, really I got no shame in my game. You cried on his episode? Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, I got to see I, that. Not on his. I cried on I cried on Jane Kim's episode and on um Terry's episode. Terry Terry the, a friend of mine Terry Samandra was just on and she's a filmmaker and she just did this like amazing ghost story film um shot in India that's on Netflix. So we, she, I, I have a very, very troubled past. So when you talk about like white trash pride, I'm like, okay, that, this is my people. <laughs> that gets me too. That really got me because I like ha- one side of my family, the one I, I raised with <clears throat> uh, comes from a very poor rural area of Illinois. And I, I didn't grow up. Like I didn't also didn't go to college and stuff. And now I work in tech, so I'm surrounded by all these people that have degrees and all this stuff. And I have this kind of imposter syndrome chip on my shoulder all the time that that gets in my way, as you said, Amy, all the time. Because we're totally down to cut off our noses despite our face for some reason. Uh, yeah, and I and I worked in tech for years in San Francisco, and I when I left, I had already started doing comedy, and so I mm-hmm. like. I deleted my LinkedIn and I was like, I I'm just doing this because I don't ever want to do a job again. That requires it. You know what I mean? And so a couple times in the last five years, you know, some like comedy opportunity has asked for it. And I'm like, no, I don't, you know, I can send you a resume, but I don't have a LinkedIn. Like I just, I worked for such terrible people in tech and, and the same, like I ended up, making all these friends, many of whom I'm still friends with that I love dearly, but we always have this sort of divide that they're like, you know, they started wealthy and then they got more wealth and it's just always Mm going to separate us. I mean, the number of times that, you know, I was working in SF that someone's like, let's get a (laughs) fucking uh, cabin in Tahoe or whatever, you know, whatever it is, like some thing. And then you're like, well, I don't have, (laughs) 
a thousand dollars to spend on a two day vacation. You know what I mean? And it's always this weird, That's like fascinating uh, divide. Um, yeah. Cause it's a, there's a class solidarity starts to happen, right? Because even so me, so I have friends that are in, I don't have a lot of friends in the tech industry. They're in lots of different industries. And because mm-hmm. I'm in the tech industry, our incomes can vary vastly and there is an uncomfortableness that comes with that i think where you start to yeah either way feel like this is a little weird like the the disparity is too weird here and even if you you catch up yeah yeah and even if you catch up a little which i did you know eventually i was making very good money the most money that i've ever made but still knew coming out of that that like oh, I was supposed to fight for more stock options. Like I was supposed to ask for raises, but I don't, I just don't know like what the, what the standards are. You know what I mean? And I just Mm -hmm. was like, I'm so happy to have a job. And now, you know, you learn these things slowly, but, but rich kids come into those opportunities prepared. And that's the exact same for comedy. And it's funny because in, you know, Thankfully, in the last few years, there's so much conversation around diversity in comedy. And I, of course, fully support it and mm-hmm. am always happy for it. And, you know, any any show yeah, that could have been a real left turn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any sh- live show or TV show that's all or podcast that's like 100 percent of the time, all white people like it's boring anyway. So, like, we're doing it for quality. But there still is not a conversation around having like blue collar people in a writing room. You know what I mean? It's like now these writers rooms often are racially diverse or diverse around sexuality and gender, but like all those kids went to, yeah, or or Tish or whatever. And it's like, uh, you know, there's Mm -hmm. still, you know, luckily if anyone's writing a show about, white trash people or something like a, I do get called. So that's nice. You know, if someone specifically has a script that they need punched up because it's about a poor family, you know, it's an, it's another niche, but yeah, that conversation has still not been had. And I think uh, it's for sure time for it. And, and I get, uh, it's similar to the age thing. Uh, recently I had a comedian friend tell me that I need to not like, tweet about being poor and you know she said you know if you project uh if you project poverty then you'll welcome poverty and i'm like it's an interesting point but i don't Mm. it's not that i don't have hope that i can still like quote unquote make it or make this a full-time job i mean we're in the middle of a pandemic like 2020 was gonna be the year that i paid all my bills with comedy for the first time ever. And that was taken away. And again, it's like with my brother, like you have to adapt. And I don't uh, like make jokes about being broke to like ask for help or ask for pity. It's just a reality. And I feel like so many of my fans Lots appreciate of very that. famous comedians make jokes about being broke. Right. Yeah. I mean, eventually they can't because they get too much money and then they sort of lose touch. But but I find that like my fans have appreciated it. You know, there's this weird thing where a lot of the time strangers think like if you have if you're verified, if you have a blue check mark on anything that you're a wealthy, successful comedian. And it's like, no, I don't have 
fucking two nickels right now. And then, and that makes sense. Cause there's just not work. Uh, but you know, I'm trying, I, I just, I want to be honest and relatable at all times. And so if I pretend otherwise that I'm a 32 <laughs> year old rich comedian, uh, <laughs> that's going to feel bad <laughs> to me, you know? Yeah. It kind of wrecks the, um, the uh the honesty and the and the kind of genuine delivery right when you're hey i'm actually not who i say i am you know like it just it kind of it feels like it would fizzle quite a bit um i think one of the things you're pointing out is really interesting because i think this goes across a lot of industries that are trying really hard right now to um to be diverse you know and um where they're like really concerned about diversity from, you know, mostly a race standpoint and not so much around what people had access to in terms of their financial capabilities as when they were younger. Um, and uh, although it does go most times hand in hand in the U S um, I think it's an interesting point to make all the way across the board because, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot, on the show is how are you helping your community? Like what are you doing to help the community that either you grew up in or you live in? Um, you know, and for me, you know, I say I have a sordid past. I mean, you know, I spent some time incarcerated and as well as in rehabs and, you know, other places. And so I've carved out the ability to do that for part of my living is help people, you know? And I think that, uh, the arts is like a really great example of of an area in which people being honest and sincere and you telling jokes that are about your that are autobiographical is super helpful like I felt really comfortable even though you burned some people that I fall into the category for <laughs> I felt super comfortable listening to your to your comedy because I'm like holy shit this is so real this is exactly what it's like to grow up poor you know <laughs> and um and I I just think it's like uh you know people I it came up today at my house my my wife was asking if I had tried a certain food and I was like she goes you know when you were younger did you ever have this around the holidays and I'm like does it have gelatin in it <laughs> you know I mean that was like if not probably not you know yeah, can did you they make sell it, it at the like liquor a- store can you make it into some molded form you know um if not then probably not but you know i just uh or is it a is it a uh is it a uh a boiled meat product of some kind (laughs) you know and um you know it's but it's like those kind of jokes when i hear them i'm like oh i recognize that and i know about (laughs) that and i you know and so I just like, I find it really refreshing when people are honest. I think that's why, you know, probably shakes the clown was such a great example. And, but I, you know, some, I do like, I hear some people and especially being in recovery myself, like I've been sober a really long time. I hear people in AA meetings even like, and I'm like, God, it sounds so disingenuous when you've got, you can tell like they've come from this mighty, mighty amount of money growing up. And it's not like, it's just my judgments. So I, but I need to hear people that are like me too. It it makes the world more relatable and it makes me quite honestly kinder to others that are telling their version of their lives, you know? So I just like, I, I enjoy, I've enjoyed listening. I'm going to do more listening of your stuff and now your podcast. But I like, I think the culmination of like how we're, especially people that grew up without a lot of money. I didn't go to college either, you know, are like, we're drawn to things like religion and, you know, it's like this thing, like 
trying to find comfort, right? Like community comfort. And so I'm now I'm like super curious more about how that played out for you and how, what was the impetus for you leaving as well? Like, how did that happen? Well, it was a pretty long process. Um, I mean, I had, you know, started kind of having some doubts when I was in high school, um, which I, of course, felt very guilty about because, you know, that's the thing about like modern evangelical Christianity is you're not supposed to ask questions. It's not like Judaism. It's not like many other religions that encourage doubt and criticism and questioning as a means to um, strengthen your relationship with God and also you know, increase your righteousness in a way because you're being thoughtful about it. Like evangelical Christianity is very much like, this is what you are required to believe. And these are the rules you're supposed to follow. And if you don't do those, then you'll fall out of grace with God and, you know, ultimately end up burning for eternity. (laughs) Um, uh, So it was not an easy thing to get out of, but, you know, ultimately when I was in high school, I, I was always a very good kid. I never got into anything bad. And partially because I was rebelling against what my parents were like and probably to some extent what my oldest brother and sister were like, that I'm like, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to drink and I want to get involved in, you know, these crazy scenes or do drugs or anything. Um, and I was, you know, straight A student, a very good kid. And yet I constantly felt guilty. And then, I, and then um, you know, senior year in high school, like I truly fell in love, like the most ideal form of teenage puppy love that you could have. Um, and I, and he wasn't a Christian and of course I wanted to have sex. And then like, we didn't for three years. What a patient, patient boy he was. Um, (laughs) uh, and then I ended up going to Berkeley and he also went there. And so we continued our relationship and then it was just like, I, I don't feel like this is wrong. Like at my core, I feel like, you know, I'm old enough to have sex. I love my boyfriend. He's a very good person. I don't know why this could be like the most evil thing I could do when I've done everything else. Right. You know what I mean? And, and that, and he never Mm -hmm. pressured me to, um, leave my faith at all. He was very supportive. I mean, he thought it was weird because he was just like a cool, normal guy, but, um, (laughs) but you know, it was just a slow process of, of kind of getting out of it. Um, but I stayed Christian when I was at Berkeley for a pretty long time. And then eventually I'm like, it's just, I just don't want to go to church anymore. And then it was, you know, I slowly kind of stopped praying and then, um, and then, you know, over the course of many years, stopped believing and really believing like, you know, I, I need to work on becoming a good person as an adult. That's not based on this very limited set of rules, but is based on like how I think you should treat people, you know? And um, again, a lot of it goes back to that, like white trash pride <laughs> where I'm like, I mm-hmm. think I'm doing the right stuff. And so, and then, you know, uh, oddly, not to no surprise of anyone, um, one of my youth pastors at the church in Nelson Brandy, where I grew up, ended up in prison. He's in prison for child molestation. Uh, and so it's like this mm-hmm. person, this one man, when I was a kid who made me feel so guilty all the time, like I wasn't saved and I, and I was doing, and I was sinning and, you know, now it's like he was just probably grooming a bunch of different kids. And luckily, my sister and I, he didn't get to us. Like, 
think whoever. Uh, but it's like, well, that's so much of my guilt and my idea of morality came from this person who's absolutely evil. You know, if there's a devil, he is of mm-hmm. the devil. Um, you know, a minimum of 45 children. Like this is not, you know, uh, and that's just in Oklahoma. So like, who knows what the fuck he did in California, like disgusting, horrible person. And once these things started to happen, I was like, you know, this church was not a righteous place and I can be more quote unquote Christ like on my own, um, making decisions for myself based on my core values. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, it's really difficult for people to kind of separate, you know, and I like, I, you know, going through as many treatment programs as I did, the only thing I can really relate it to is like, I went through a really hardcore program that was pretty cult-like actually. And they wanted you to just like stay and be part of their community forever. And it felt very religious in some ways. And, you know, I felt kind of guilty when I wanted to, to no longer associate with them, but it was definitely the best thing that I could have done for myself from a, you know, personal growth standpoint. And I had a, as well, a decent moral compass. I think that's why I'm so utterly like obsessed with this, like, like kind of cult and religion and sort of like modern day, you know, which actually, like I mentioned Q earlier, is actually very old, same old nasty racist tropes that have been going on forever. But, you know, it's like, it's really interesting to me, human psychology and the need to belong to something is really, it's really powerful. My, uh, yeah, I've never taught, like, I don't think I've mentioned this, but I grew up in a Christian cult called The Way. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and what I noticed, and it never, like, as soon as I was a teenager, I was, I was done with all that. But what I noticed is that my family, my dad, he would go from like thing to thing. Like he's a Mormon now. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like he just needs one of those. It's very interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we want to belong. We want community and we also want to make sure we're ticking off all the boxes of what, you know, culturally we're supposed to have or what we're supposed to achieve. And I think, you know, those two things together can get you into a lot of shit. It can get you into cults. It can get you into church. It can get you into uh, being a tech executive and throwing your ethics aside. You know what I mean? Like there's so many ways that we, that we compromise and, and it's not like I, uh, you know, begrudge any friends who like work for evil corporations because we all have to work and get by. But you know, these are, the, these are the things that we're always kind of navigating. It's like, what am I willing to, what of my ethics am I willing to sacrifice to be either a part of a community or to make money? Right. Because those, those are such valued things, um, to have an identity, you know, we're obsessed with identity and not the good ways. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, right. like having, you know, right a label you can call yourself like I am a comedian or I am you know whatever um and it's it's tough yeah and I think like you know the punk way is is just kind of being willing to sacrifice those two things for being authentic like I might lose some friends and I might lose some money 
but I want to be true to who I am. And uh, it's not the easiest way to live, but, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it's just kind of what I know, you know? Yeah, I think it's uh so what what are you doing right now to kind of keep your keep afloat cuz you obviously you can't perform live. You're doing the yeah. podcast, but I I don't I mean, based on what I know about podcasts, it's that's not, you know, it's not like the <laughs> bank account is filling up. What? <laughs> I mean, yeah, we luckily so what, what you, we, luckily we do have some um very nice and generous podcast listeners, so that is like a chunk of my income right now, but but um nice. Also, you know, Zoom shows and doing corporate online shows. And I've been doing a lot of writing. And and that was a funny thing this year, like in, um, you know, a few months. Like one of the ways that I truly stayed afloat over the last six months was writing for a comedian I can't name because I signed a non-disclosure agreement. Um, but is someone who who's putting out a new special. And just for those of you listening... At a certain level of fame and success, mm-hmm. nobody writes their own jokes. They have a team. Sometimes they make people sign DAs if they're NDAs if they're smart. Uh, a lot of people don't, and then it comes out when the special gets panned or whatever. Or people say like, "Oh, he's really lost his touch," and then it's like, "Oh, well, actually, my writers wrote." You know, <laughs> um, so I wrote yeah, for totally. someone. I totally for sure do not share values with or material. Uh, and he, we are, we could not be more different. His fans are mostly, you know, Trump loving middle of the country. A lot of really religious people, Larry, the cable guy. <laughs> no, no. And I'll say no to anyone you bring up because I don't want to get sued, but also, <laughs> I, know, I know I'm kidding. But also, although he is face to face a very nice man, I don't want to be associated with this the special. Although in a way, I am like, oh, I think it's kind of funny because I went to the taping and everything. I'm like, I think it's kind of funny that if these people found out who wrote what they're laughing at, they would be so mad. Mm. And and that is a skill in its own. But was I taking a check? Absolutely. You know, I mean, I literally like I had to pay rent this year Um, and it was fun. It was a great exercise. But, you know, that's one of those moments where I'm like, I am not working Mm -hmm. for money in step with my values. But what I did was (laughs) I donated 20 percent of what he paid me to (laughs) Black Lives Matter. So, like, I don't feel amazing. It's not like, and and I couldn't afford that, by the way, because I don't have any work. Um, but I, but I just had to live with myself, you know. And of course, I didn't write any material yeah. that I, was offensive. I didn't write anything that I wouldn't stand by. But just who's delivering it uh, is troubling. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I mean, these are some of the things we have to just kind of deal with. It's like. Uh, I work really, really hard to not work with or for terrible people. And he's not a terrible person uh, personally, as much as you can say that about right. anyone who supports the Republican Party. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, mostly writing and then also writing on some great projects. And, um, you know, and then also like for Thanksgiving, nice. I, I fucking sold flower arrangements like just I'm just hustling, I'm doing whatever I can. Yeah. I mean, that sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to get through. Right. I mean, that's the, 
that's the good thing that we learned both from the from growing up in a household with with punks like you did with a you know father figure that was a punk you learn to just do what you need to do and you if you don't know how to do it you pretend you know how to do it till you learn it and uh that's kind of the deal but also growing up poor like you you get into this survival mode i see it with my wife all the time like she's you know she was very poor when she was growing up and she'll just like hustle if there's something that needs to be done she'll figure it out i'll i'll put that shelf in you know we're not calling anyone you know even though we can probably afford it now it's it's just like a, it's like a totally like it's a mindset that you are completely it's almost impossible to get out of so um so what projects can you talk about cuz we want to hear 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 what you're up to that you can obviously the podcast which i'm again pumped about i'm going to like i already subscribed yeah. during the show so what's it called who's your god um mm-hmm. and it's available everywhere um and patreon.com slash who's your god we have a lot of bonus content there but um i also oddly in july shot my first comedy special (laughs) um which was very weird uh so it comes out in february i think early february it's gonna be on epics and it was very fun very like you know a moment in time pandemic special i mean i did material that I've done before, but there was also kind of a, not a lot of new stuff about what's going on. Um, and it's 20 minutes of stand up and 10 minutes of interview during which I talk mostly about our childhood and our parents. Cool. Um, so it's nice. It looks great. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Um, it's very funny. And like, it was just, a, you know, this really weird thing. We shot it outside and, the audience was masked and everyone got tested and uh, they had all, you know, of course all the protocols they have to follow, but it felt mm-hmm. crazy to perform after not going up for at that point, you know, four months. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that'll come out and there's already a bunch of them out. If you have epics, uh, which I don't know who does by the way. Um, I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a handful of them that came out already and they're very, very funny uh, and they're shot really well and they're all really personal. And several of the comedians cried. I didn't do that, but <laughs> I knew they were trying to get me to cry <laughs> and I did not cave. Uh, but that's also because we're fucking twisted. Like I don't, you know, if I'm talking about like dark moments from childhood, like I'm always laughing. And then the interviewer would be like, why are yeah. you laughing? <laughs> talking about your father's tragic death and i'm just like <laughs> <laughs> probably made for awkward moments during the filming <laughs> luckily the person Maybe. interviewing me was also was like <laughs> yeah yeah no we, it, it, it went well i mean he got it but it was just like why yeah why are we like we're so twisted like it's just not right that we're laughing at all this stuff but um i'm really proud of how it came out so you guys can watch that in february and then i don't know like all the writing projects i've done have pretty much been secret so maybe when these things come out i can i can say something but i worked on a friend's new show for nbc and yeah it's just a really just hustling nice this is the problem with talking to people in show business is they can't talk about anything they're working on because it <laughs> takes like three years for anything to happen. Um, yeah. Especially well, now people are so, yeah. People are also scared that their, their stuff is going to get, 
taken, you know, I mean, for good reason. I mean, when you've got the music industry and the, and the entertainment industry having stolen ideas for years and years and years, and you've got, you know, people that are, that grew up working poor. I mean, it's like, you know, what, what do you expect? You know? So, I mean, I, I think it's, it's interesting that, um, that I, I feel like the hope for me is next year, all this creative stuff comes out and it's just completely like, like bonkers because yeah, it's totally creative, it's amazing. like yeah. amazing, you know, just like, you know, you're saying like the shows were beautifully shot. Like, you know, people are getting creative with how they're doing things. Um, my sister-in-law was on the show last year and she's the, um, writer and director for Betty on HBO and they're shooting their second season right now. And it was, it was a, it was a, it was tough. I mean, they had, it was hard, you know, they had a lot of rules and, um, and did they I have just, to shut down at any point for, she did. She mm. did. Yeah. She had to shut down the, 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 the staff did not, the, the crew did not. She did. She was quarantined for a couple of weeks, you know, and it's brutal. But I think that the show, from what she's telling me, is going to be as creative as anything she's ever done because she said she had so much time to think about it being home, you know. And instead of going crazy, she was channeling her energy, which it sounds like you're doing, to do stuff that she loves. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll totally watch the new, the new show. So it's coming out in February. It's on Epics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the podcast is an obvious one. And you said, um, you've done a few other things. You're doing some zoom performances. Is there an easy way to find that schedule? Um, that if it's public or is this all corporate? Um, a little bit of both, but I think I'm doing a big, um, zoom show on the 20th, but I think this won't be out yet. So I can't plug it, but well, we can though. Okay, perfect. <laughs> oh yeah. We can plug it for sure. Yeah, this um, coming Sunday, December 20th. Um, okay. Just like a Zoom comedy show. It's like a little holiday party for the podcast, and um, that'll be really fun. But, yeah, it's it's really – I also just spend hours every day of the last couple of weeks um, just walking around L.A., and it's helped me stay sane. Um, it's very – it's good at taking – for taking my mind off my own shit – but also simultaneously depressing just being out there and seeing how many small businesses are closing. And, um, Mm -hmm. but you know, for the most part, I'm like, I live in a place that's beautiful and you can be outside almost every day of the year. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to take advantage of it. Um, and that's because now like, you know, the industry will shut down for the next few weeks, but they always kind of start early. You know, mm-hmm. the emails really slow down in early December. So looking at, and by the way, like, uh, you know, as far as how I spend my time, like I audition a ton of voiceover and acting auditions, which are all done from home now, which is much more convenient than fucking driving to Santa Monica in rush hour, you know, um, to just sit there and wait for three hours. Totally. Like it's, really changed the business in that way. Um, but I, I know like I've, I spent so much of my time doing that, um, like submitting for Mm -hmm. writing gigs and auditioning that since it already started to slow down for the winter, I was like, I feel aimless and like, I don't know what my purpose is and what my life looks like. And looking down the next four weeks, I'm like, I, you know, I mean, you want to go crazy because uh, you just—I just don't know what to do with myself. So I'm, um, yeah, I just walk around. 
It's just walk and yeah. walk and walk. What what neighborhood are you in? I live what kind neighborhood of are you in, dead in uh, mid city, like mid Wilshire, um, which is great because okay. walking distance. I'm you know in any direction. There's stuff. I mean, I live right by LACMA and the tar pits, and then you know walking distance to Beverly Hills, which oh yeah. It's not like uh, the coolest place to go, but I will say going to Rodeo Drive late at night, um, it does. it's not technically illegal, but they make it feel illegal. Like there's so much private security yeah, totally. and Beverly Hills PD that are just like, we'll slow down and be like, what are you up to? And I'm like, I'm just walking. <laughs> and they're like, like, I'm not going to yeah. rob Tiffany's or whatever. <laughs> like, I'm just walking. <laughs> uh, it was such a Amazing. weird. Well, when, and once you get to Beverly Hills, it's it, you can get easily to West Hollywood. And it's like, the, it seems like there's like, once you kind of get somewhere there, like the next thing is close enough, right? Yeah. I walked to WeHo. I walked through Koreatown, like all over the place. And then sometimes I'll drive across town and walk in a different neighborhood. But, um, but the walks through WeHo are, are so sad too. It's like, Right now, LA is, it feels like when you're outside, it like it's fully open mm-hmm. because everything's open except for the shit I want to go to, which is like comedy and right. drag shows. And like, I get it, like, performance is something we can't do right now. But, you know, the mixed messages that we get from our fucking mayors and governors and the whole administration of like, we got to shut down, but this candle store can stay open crowded people buying candles and like i don't want that place to close either but it's like why can't the fucking gay bars be open you know it's it's just so depressing out there but but yeah that's what i've been doing i just been walking (laughs) yeah it's good good thing to do um thank you so much for taking the time to come on today amy oh thank you so much this has been really fun yeah, you can, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, we, we haven't, have we interviewed a comedian before? No. No. So you're, you're our first. I love it. Which is amazing. And get the whole and family on. You can so interview I, our I will hi- <laughs> Yeah, no, right? We should do a family one actually with you and Jason and your sisters. <laughs> I would be totally, I, Jason's a handful, man. He was awesome on the show. He was like, <laughs> he's very funny. He's just our- so. Our entire family is really funny. And that and that's another thing is that you're like, oh, um, you know, you hear these stories about like my comedian friends who like don't want to go home for the holidays or whatever. And it's like, oh, you're oh, you're from a rich family. So they're really boring. Like, <laughs> no, my family's hilarious. <laughs> uh, like Jason's one of the funniest people I yeah. know. Don't tell him I said that, but he's never. Oh, he was great. No. <laughs> We're very Hopefully he'll listen. He was great on the show. He was he was fantastic, and Sam I Am was one of my very favorite bands uh, when they, especially when they first came out. They're one of their first drummers is a guy I went to high school with. So, um, oh, who was that? They're Mark Mortensen. Oh, nice. finest guy in Concord. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So then yeah. you've heard the songs about me. Uh, that's that's troubling. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to revisit the catalog now too. Yeah. Great band. They're a great band, and and they are so good. Yeah, and you should do a tour. I will look forward to that. That will be like the highlight of 2021. <laughs> Wouldn't that be so fun? Like Amy, Kyle Kinane, and Sam I Am. Like that's a sellout, you know? <laughs> totally. 
I mean, that's amazing. And I've seen bands doing comp, you know, comedians as their openers a lot more recently, you know, it's very hard. Uh, you have to really have a, it has to be a specific kind of band and a specific kind of opener, but it's a, it's one of the more storied things in comedy that everyone says, like, don't ever open for a band. It's a fucking nightmare. And there's been some really successful pairing. I mean, Bobcat famously opened for Nirvana for years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Richard Belzer would open for Warren Zevon for years. Um, whenever I have tried it, it has been tricky for sure but fun, but like, you got to have the support of the band. That's the big thing is like, you know, the lead singer has to be willing to come out and tell everybody to shut the fuck up. (laughs) Otherwise it doesn't work. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it is an interesting pairing, but if (laughs) he will be willing, you know, my brother would probably physically fight anyone who heckled me. So it's a good pairing. (laughs) (laughs) I could see that actually. Well, we appreciate you coming on. We do um, want to tell people that we are in a position where we can donate our Patreon money. So we do that and we donate it to Hospitality House San Francisco, which provides mental health care and substance abuse counseling for individuals that are uh, currently unhoused generally. And they also have a fantastic arts program that they've been able to cobble together during COVID uh, with art therapy and um, some music therapy, as well as they have a shelter. And we're one of the first to come back as a shelter during COVID. So we love them. They're very small. Any tiny bit is literally like a delight to them. And so, um, you know, we just encourage people if they've got the means to do the right thing during these, these really trying times. So, you know, help others support artists and support local businesses as much as you can. Amazon does not need your money. So, um, you know, and absolutely support, um, comedians and writers like Amy. And we do truly appreciate you coming on. It was, it was amazing. And, um, I can't wait to see more. Thanks guys. This was so fun. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening, everybody. 